This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, Karen. Good to see you. I appreciate you having me on your show. Hopefully, uh, we both can make a fool of each other together. (laughs) Bharat Kanodia, thank you so much for being here today. This is going to be a very interesting and valuable episode where we are going to talk about money and finances. And the big question that we're going to get to is, what is a law firm worth? And I know this is something that you've talked about a lot. You've got a YouTube uh, video on this, you've got some blog posts. So you've got you've got the info, you've kind of gone through this exercise of figuring this out. But how do you even start? Where does a, a firm owner start with trying to figure out valuation on uh, their firm? Yeah, the first question to ask is why would you need a valuation for yeah, a firm? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, nobody wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to get an appraisal today. <laughs> I don't get too many of those calls, believe me or not. You yeah. Know? And that's why I got to be really charming. So this is me being charming. Most people need a valuation if they have some kind of a pending transaction coming up. Okay. Or if they need to file taxes on their firm or their practice, or they're under some kind of a litigation, maybe getting a divorce or something under the rule of law. Um, Otherwise, nobody says, let's get a valuation. Now, I do have a conflict of interest when I say this, but that does not mean I'm wrong. (laughs) Everybody should be getting a valuation on a yearly basis. And that is because... Why do you get a report card at the end of the year after you're done with school or a semester? Yeah. That tells you how you did. Sure. So if you are an attorney or a partner at a law firm and you're working 80 hours a week or you're making at least other people work 80 hours a week, you need to know that, hey, have we really added value to our and you can only do that, not just by counting the billable hours or by the revenue you have made, by getting a valuation. And believe it or not, just because you have made additional revenue this year or your revenue is high, that directly does not translate into a high valuation. That's what most attorneys think, and that is incorrect. Okay, so let's back up to the first part of your your answer was, why do you even need a valuation? And my initial thought was none of those answers that you provided. My initial thought was that they're getting ready to sell the firm. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, I'm done. I feel like I either am done being a lawyer or maybe approaching uh, retirement. Or ideally, you aren't approaching retirement. You've kind of built it up. You've got this whole plan. And you're at a great place in your career where you do want to sell it and then go on to whatever that next phase in your life is. And you have to figure out how much it's worth. So that's another scenario where ideally law firm owners are planning for that and then trying to figure out, okay, what's it worth? So where do they start with that? And then what's the difference between, like you said, the valuation and the profitability of that firm? Great point. So one of the uh, reasons I said for evaluation is a pending transaction of some kind, and that okay. comes to 
thing that, hey, they're looking to sell the business. Sure. Or in a law firm's case, a partner buyout or transferring shares to a junior partners or what have you, some kind of a transition plan. It's okay. all long in one. And when I say just because you have revenue, that does not necessarily mean profit or does that, that, that is not a one is to one equation to a higher valuation because in evaluation, I am looking for revenue that is sticky. Okay, what does that mean? So I am looking for revenue from customers that write you checks on a monthly, weekly, quarterly basis. Okay, recurring. Recurring revenue, precisely. So a criminal defense attorney, that's a hard practice to value. (laughs) A corporate attorney, that's an easy practice to value. Sure. A family attorney... That's a hard practice of value. You know, people, I mean, yeah, I mean, you might have some recurring customers, but, you know, somebody can only get divorced twice, maybe thrice. I mean, if you right. know, if they have a lot of family <laughs> problems, like, okay, my God. You know, so so in, in the law arena, this is most important because, you know, some lawyers really do need to find new customers on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and that makes it difficult. So practices that have recurring uh, revenue. So say if you have a practice in venture capital or some kind of a corporate practice, those are fairly straightforward because it's recurring revenue. So law firms are usually valued anywhere between 0.5 to 1.25x on revenue. And the spread between 0.5 and 1.25 really varies on the stickiness of that revenue. If it's very sticky revenue, like a corporate practice, corporate practice also, you know, if it's coming from, say, B2B clients or institutional clients, that's very valuable. Yeah. So let's say that you're a new, newish lawyer and you're starting your firm and you're thinking, okay, down the road, I want this to be a 10-year plan. And mm-hmm. so in 10 years, I want to be set up with a firm that is going to do one of those transactions you described. I'm either bringing on partners, which I I think actually that should be a shorter term plan. That's maybe three to five years. Or maybe in five to eight years, I'm starting the process to sell the firm. So how do you get started with that, that kind of a thought process in terms of the way that you set up your firm to make sure that you have the numbers and that sticky factor that you're talking about in a more valuable way so that when, and and I mean value in terms of valuation, not just kind of in terms of an adjective, but in terms of the actual numbers of evaluation of a firm. Great question. So if your business model is set up in a way where you have the same customer writing you checks recurringly, that firm or that business model is very valuable. Okay. So say, for example, a trademark attorney. Trademark attorney um, might get paid on a per trademark basis, or they might have a, I don't know, minimal monthly fee of, say, 100 bucks or 150 bucks to maintain that trademark. Yeah. That 150 bucks a month on a dollar to dollar basis, right? So say if they charge, say, I don't know, $3,000 for filing the trademark and 150 bucks to maintaining the trademark from on a dollar to dollar basis that 150 on a monthly basis is far more valuable than the $3,000 that's one time. Because it's more of a, a higher lifetime value. Correct. Yeah. Because okay. They write you that check 
on a monthly basis, no matter what. And a potential buyer is not going to look too kindly on that $3,000 because they probably never will see it. Right. They will look very, very kindly, did I say very, <laughs> on that $150 a month. So if I'm uh, following you, which I, I think I am, this whole idea of subscription business models in terms of law firms, which it really seems to be the hot topic that most firms are trying to find a, a path into this. It's not just because you have a better, you know, work-life balance, which you do. Like, that's a great, you know, bonus in that whole idea. You have a better kind of mental health because you know from one month to the next, you have a baseline of income that you can count on so that you don't have to start from scratch on the first of every month. But long term, you've got a much more solid and valuable foundation of this firm so that when you're going to sell it, this idea of whether you're going to take on project by project versus finding a way to monetize that client interaction as a subscription is is the the path forward. That's that's what you have to focus on. Very much so. Well said. Yeah. Okay. So if you take that $3,000 transaction and let's say all the other guys down the road are doing that because that's that's, you know, it's a traditional way of doing a uh, I'm going to stay with the patent attorney idea and then you break it up and initially that initial transition between that upfront cost and then taking it as a monthly cost, it's hard to get over that hurdle of getting used to that feeling of those small bites instead of big chunks. But then you have a, a longer interaction with that client. Very much so. You, you got to look at valuation from a potential buyer's perspective, right? A potential buyer only wants two things, really only two things. And people make this so complicated and they really do not need. And, you know, somebody might say, oh, no, they need three things. Oh, no, they need five things. Bullshit. <laughs> they need two things. And that's it. If somebody tells you otherwise, call bullshit on them. And those two things are, one, they want consistent cash flow. Is in recurring revenue. Same customers paying you money on a monthly, weekly, quarterly basis. You don't have to go out and hunt for a new customer daily. As you said, you don't have to start over every month. Yeah. Secondly, they don't want to do anything to service that customer. So if a new buyer automate. automate or have layers of management. Okay. Layers of management are expensive, so right. automation is favored. But in law firm, not everything can be automated. If everything could be automated, there would be no attorneys. Now, not everything can be automated, right? I mean, you know, if you have to write a brief, you can't use, you know, software to write a brief. I mean, you know, maybe nowadays you can, but you still need somebody to get Yeah. Yeah. So start with what can be automated. You know, people always come back to me and say, hey, oh, no, no, I, I run a law firm. I run an accounting practice. This can't be automated. Well, I understand not 100% can be automated, right? Even a 747 running on autopilot still needs a captain or a pilot sitting on the seat watching what's happening. So it's still not 100% on autopilot. So think about what can be automated. Start with those things, the simple things, the account receivables, payables, payroll, digital marketing, email solicitation, you know, sending, you know, birthday cards, greetings, you know, those things can be automated. Start with those and then move on to the bigger things. You know, don't just start by saying, oh, no, I'm too important for my business. My business can't be automated because then you're not really creating value. 
what you're doing is you are creating a job for a new or a potential buyer. And nobody pays big money for a job. People pay big money for a business that gives them cash flow. So the summary in my mind is some kind of subscription, some, some plan, some subscription plan that keeps your clients active and paying and automation. That's it. Yeah. Or layers of management that helps you service that business more uh, or uh, efficiently, I shouldn't say more. Okay. But ideally automation because it's cheaper. It's, it's far cheaper. Yes. Yeah. Paying the hundred bucks, 150 bucks, 200, even $500 a month on some software is so much cheaper than even hiring somebody in the Philippines. Yeah. Of course. Okay, so then coming back to this idea of then how you figure out the worth and the value of a firm. So they start looking at, let's assume you've done all these things well. You've got your subscriptions. You've got your clients that are kind of on that recurring revenue model. You've automated as much as you can. And you're getting ready to go sell the firm. And so how do you start to have some sense around how much it's worth when you're looking at those subscriptions and you realize, okay, I've got a bunch of subscriptions. These are worth more than just these one-off clients that my neighbor has. How much more? How do I figure this out? Where's the valuation? How do I put a dollar sign on this to this guy over here who, want, who might want to buy me? So a rule of thumb is your revenue is worth anywhere between 0.5 to 1.25x of your revenue. So say okay. if it's a million dollar firm, your firm could be worth anywhere between half a million dollars to about $1.25 million. Now, that's a pretty wide range. Yeah. So what I would do is if I were you, if, as a quick and dirty calc, I would take all the customers or the revenue that's on a recurring or a monthly basis and put that in the 1 to 1.25 bucket. Okay. And I'll put all the one-off revenue, ad hoc revenue, and put that in the 0.5 bucket. And then do the math. <laughs> that's the part that I feel like uh, a lot of lawyers didn't want to hear, that there was going to be math involved. <laughs> it's, it's a dirty business, but somebody's yeah, got to do it. Right. You just get a big calculator or you find somebody with a big calculator that can <laughs> put the numbers in and, and hit the plus sign or the minus sign or whatever the case might be. <laughs> yes. Okay, so they've got this number and they've got this kind of valuation and so it, does it usually work out that way where you present your valuation to the market? Is it kind of like listing a house where here's the, the price we're going for, let's throw this out to the market and see what happens or, or how, what comes next? Great question. So, uh, you know, it is similar to selling a house, but not entirely, but yeah, fairly close. So first thing they need to do is they need to have some kind of a range that, hey, how much will I accept at the low point that if somebody offers me or what is the ideal number that I want you know so the range could vary anywhere between $200 and $50 million okay say for example right I mean and then you come up with you talk to a business broker who specializes in selling law firms and you talk to them or you know there are coaches who help special uh, sell firms or partnerships within the firms. And you talk to them that, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what my valuation is. What do you think this thing is worth or how much can you help me sell it for? And then you list your business. Okay. The biggest problem people have is they say, hey, I can't list my business. I don't want my clients to know that I'm going to sell my business. 
well, guess what? Your clients are going to find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. It's like saying, I don't want people to know I'm pregnant. Like at some yeah. point, it's going to be visible. <laughs> it's going to, people are going to know. <laughs> That's how this works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so the, the only question is, do you want to be ahead of the ball or do you want to be chasing it? Yeah. So it's better to be ahead of the ball, you know, let the clients know, hey, this is what I'm doing, but also tell them why. Yeah. Well, yeah, just- that matters a lot. It's not like we're in a desperate situation. We're trying to, you know, run from, you know, we're just barely keeping it together before we go bankrupt. Because people assume the worst when when they hear things like that. And I, as far as when they, when you were talking about talking to a coach and kind of approaching them with your your hopes for what your valuation is. Before we started recording, you were saying that you thought MBA was a waste of time. So I'm going to use my MBA <laughs> phrases. And we call that a BATNA. So you go in with your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. That's the BATNA, where you say, here's basically, here's my bottom line. I'm not going to take anything below this. And it's basically your plan. So you don't walk into any kind of a negotiation and, you know, and get swayed and kind of walk away thinking, oh, that was not what I wanted to have happen. So you figure out what your best alternative, you know, you have your hopes, and then you have your BATNA, and you go in and figure out kind of what the market will bear. Yeah, and and very much so. Um, And you want to be very honest with your clients. Look, I'm trying to sell because look, I'm 66 years old. I'm done. I have a few years remaining, I want to spend spend time with my daughter or my wife or, you know, my mistress, what have you, right? Or, you know, you just say that, look, you know, I want to go try something else. Yeah. But you want to be ahead of the ball and also let the clients know that what the plan is. Look, I'm going to transition to this new owner or this new partner, but I am still around. And guess what? You will be around. Nobody's just going to take the keys of the truck and let you walk away in oblivion. Right. Um, This not like selling a house, right? Many people think selling a firm or selling a business is like selling a house where you get to walk away instantaneously. Yeah. Uh, uh, selling a business doesn't work like that. There will be some strings attached for at least a year or two. Yeah. So that new buyer or the new owner is doing all that needs to be done or is aware of all that needs to be known about your business and your clients. Yeah. There will be issues in client transition. There will be a uh, need for knowledge transfer. There will be need for, you know, working through staff attrition. And all these things matter. And that's why, you know, if you want to sell your firm for, say, $5 million, don't expect somebody to just write you a check for $5 million. <laughs> and have it you go off work. to a beach somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't work like that. This is, no. the, you know, this, this is not the movies. You know, this no. is not a John Grisham novel. Well, it, and, and anyone who's been through a merger or acquisition knows what that feels like and you, you've maybe you haven't but your cousin has or and you see that logical sequence of events where new company comes in they get rid of some people and then they keep on a bunch of the employees for that knowledge transfer and those people I've been through uh, acquisition where I was kept on and it's like ah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Just kind of being here to kind of be milked for all of my value and then being dismissed afterwards. 
So recognize that there's there are challenges in that whole thing, especially from a staffing perspective. It's really complicated to uh, make everybody feel okay about that because they all see the writing on the wall. When you know there's there's people coming in, people going out, some people being laid off, and that whole process. But you have to maintain a certain level of the the business for it to survive. Very much so. You know, so you'll have some kind of an employment contract and some kind of a earnout that hey, we will pay you a certain percentage of your price over the next two years, or you know, whatever you have promised. Because you know, one thing I'll always see in transactions is like, okay, today my revenue is a hundred dollars, but next year my revenue was going to be a hundred and fifty bucks. I'm selling you a hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah. And when the you know buyer comes and say, okay, fine. I will give you this money next year after you achieve the $150 in revenue. And then all hell breaks loose. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe the guy said that. (laughs) You know, he doesn't trust me. I don't want to sell my business to them. Like, okay, dude, just calm down. Seriously. I mean, you know. Yeah. You say your revenue is $100. And next year you say the revenue is going to be $150. Don't you think the person should have a healthy doubt right how that person is going to get to 150 and they're not saying you won't and i won't pay you for that all they're saying is i will pay you your price based on the 150 after you achieve 150 right right i don't see anything unfair in that yeah i'm just thinking of shark tank and i'm imagining a lawyer walking into the shark tank and, and that's basically what we're talking about. And there's a lawyer's a walking in and, you know, there's the lawyer, his ego, his, you know, law school experience, like all of this stuff that's on his shoulders. And he walks in and he's got the sharks in front of him. And I, I've watched enough Shark Tank to know that you can't pitch them on future potential earnings because no one you're, you're, you're trying to predict the future. Especially in a law firm's case, because right. it is very difficult to scale. I mean, this is not like selling, you know, Zoom subscriptions where you can go from a zero to a million in two days. Right. You know, it's difficult to scale billable time. You got to add people. You got to hire people. You got to train people. You know, it's that's not doable overnight. Yeah. So if you're imagining that lawyer in the shark tank, how is this different from that kind of a presentation when you're thinking about selling that firm or you're putting together that valuation and trying to present it to a potential investor? Very different. As I said, scalability is very different. Okay. So you have to think in terms of your staff and the the kind of all of those costs. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, people were being hard on Elon Musk because the analysts on Wall Street were saying, well, they're not growing fast enough. And I was laughing because that really explained to me how little the analysts know about the business Elon Musk is in. Tesla is not a technology company. Tesla is a auto company. And an auto company, to make cars, they need factories. Yeah make factories they need to acquire land to build on that land they need to acquire permits they need to acquire labor they need to acquire material they need to lay down cement and foundations (laughs) and cement takes 
48 hours to cure, sometimes 24 hours. I mean, and there's nothing Wall Street or you or I or Elon can do about that. And if these analysts are saying that they're not scaling fast enough, well, they're stupid because they don't know. So the same thing that if somebody says that, hey, your law firm is not scaling fast enough, that person has is either not an attorney and doesn't know how to, a law firm works or has never run a professional services firm. You need to hire people. And if you hire the wrong people, guess what's going to happen to your professional services firm? Where your biggest assets, you know, walk out and go home all every day. That's scary. Yeah. And they get hit by buses and things happen. And then, you know, we have a global pandemic and all of a sudden everybody's life goals change and they walk out the door and then they don't come back or whatever the case might be. I mean, they're, they're people. So it's not just like a number on a spreadsheet. So the, the big difference you're kind of describing in terms of pitching to an investor like the Shark Tank thing really just comes down to the people and the staffing and the, the kind of knowledge transfer and the knowledge base is where your value is. And so it's hard to, it's more, it's difficult to put numbers on that and to value it in the same way that they do for like a cupcake company that they do on Shark Tank or whatever. If you were to pitch your law firm to Shark Tank, I would focus on two factors. And those factors are, how sticky is your current revenue? That, hey, these clients write me a check on a monthly basis, no matter what. And second, how are you going to increase that sticky revenue using your reputation or whatever you want to use? Yep, marketing. <laughs> marketing. How are you going to make that sticky rice into more sticky rice? Yeah, big pot That's of sticky rice. Pot of sticky rice. <laughs> Okay, awesome. I think that's super valuable. So no smooth transition into our book review at this point. <laughs> I feel like we're just going to go jump right into it. So as you know, our audience is full of lawyers. And thank you so much for ha holding up your book so we can get the visual uh, cue there. So what's the book that you just held up that you're going to recommend to the audience? Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And uh, I like this book because I have a very sensitive bullshit meter. When Somebody tells me, gives me sermons. Karin, yeah. you should do this. Yeah. You should not do this. Yeah. Karin, when you go to China, speak Chinese. This book is no BS. These are all stories and these are all practical things that he talks about. Okay. And it's an easy read. You know, maybe a couple of nights after dinner, you're done. So that's and why I like. And he's giving you advice about. Like, what, is, what does he mean by never split the difference? What is he uh, kind of giving you the advice about kind of interactions? Say, for example, if, you know, you're selling your law firm and uh, I'm a buyer and you're saying a million dollars and I say half a million dollars and, you know, most people will say, all right, fine, let's split the difference. Yeah. Let's make a deal. And he's saying, don't do that. Why? Because there are better ways of negotiating. There are better ways of bringing people to your sides. And he talks about those ways. Okay. And that's why this book is giving you the how-to. I mean, there are many books that tell you, you know, like, you know, like they're sermons. It's kind of like going to church. Yeah. It's like, you know, you do this, you do that. Well, nobody tells you how to. Right. I only talk to people or I only believe advisors or coaches who tell you the how-to. Because without that, hey, I could be giving sermons all day. <laughs> 
Yeah, I always kind of question those guys who just feel like they could jump in and give you all that advice about a life that they they've only known for five minutes, or or maybe they don't even know it at all. And it's like, uh, I I feel like that's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> we'll tell you, right? Oh, uh, Karen, lose weight. Karen, <laughs> don't get angry. Karen, you should be kind to your sister. Yes, I know that. Yeah. How? Yeah. How? Right. You know. Yeah. Right. Okay, awesome. We will link to that book. That sounds like a great resource that has a lot of actionable tips and, you know, how to do all those things, not just don't split the difference, how and why and all of those things about, you know, all those follow up questions that are so important. So Barat, what's one big takeaway that you would want listeners to get from this episode? The big takeaway is look for sticky revenue. Yeah, make a big pot of sticky rice. And then keep of sticky rice and keep it and keep making more and more don't and most people you know are looking for that balloon payment right don't look for that balloon payment look for that recurring revenue type of clients awesome barat canodia which i have a hard time pronouncing is the founder and chief appraiser of very strat the it's a technology company and we will link to your website, your YouTube channel, the blog post about how to evaluate a a law firm, and all of your social media accounts as well. So Bharat, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.